Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Think of it as another way of saying there's been a deglobalization where supply chains are becoming more localized and more resilient. And because of that, we're going to see higher costs of raw materials and cost of goods that are going to last and linger much longer than one would expect. And so I think demand is also of what's driving inflation beyond the, the cheap money and the supply chains. Hi, and welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays, a weekly ETF.com podcast that covers all the big topics in ETFs. I'm Managing Editor Heather Bell, and I'm joined by my longtime esteemed colleague, Samit Roy. Hi, Samit. Hey, Heather. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? Not bad. Not bad. Excited about today's podcast. Today, we're speaking with Chris Humer, Senior Investment Strategist for Northern Trust Asset Management. Thanks so much for joining us today, Chris. Heather, Samit, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to talk to you again. How have you been? Good. Markets are giving us a lot to talk about, so I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Absolutely. Let's kick it off. Chris, really glad to have you on the show because inflation is all anyone's talking about nowadays and all anyone's talked about all year long. And I want to get your take on it. It seems that earlier this summer, there was a lot of hope that inflation was going to peak this year and then come down pretty quickly. But lately, we've been seeing core price growth staying at a pretty sticky high level. Is that a concern for you? Yeah, I think if markets have had to adjust their expectations uh, around inflation throughout the year, and it, it's still dynamic today. If you look at the levels that we're, we're at and, and the projections for the rest of the year, just what's baked in already this year is, is at a level that even if we were to experience zero inflation through the rest of the year, meaning that we're, we're kind of not just come down, but if we literally got zero inflation for October, November, and December, we would still finish the year with 7.13 or 7.31% inflation. So we've baked in so much inflation this year that it's 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 really, you know, the market has had to react to that. And you, you see that both in the equity markets. One of the things that I've been talking a lot this year about is stock and bond correlations. You know, one of the things we keep hearing is there's no alternatives to to equities, you know, that, that concept of Tina. And one of the things that we're seeing is this is returned to, to what we've seen historically in inflationary environments. You know, if you think about the typical 60-40 portfolio in a deflationary environment, stock and bond prices are negatively correlated, meaning that as yields go higher, stock prices usually go higher. Uh, and bond prices fall. And so you have a nice diversification with that 60-40 portfolio. But what we find is in inflationary periods, that's not the case. Stock prices and bond prices are positively correlated. And so as yields rise, both stock prices and bond prices fall. And that's what we're experiencing this year. And this is prototypical of what we see in 
these types of environments. And it's it's the reason why, you know, we talk about real assets or, alter, uh, or alternatives as, as being key pieces of a portfolio today, because, you know, this inflationary environment is definitely something that that is a challenge for investors and something that they need to, to look into. So, Chris, I was wondering what caused inflation? Like, was it the Fed? Was it the pandemic or something else? I guess when you say it's the Fed, the the, the concept of the quantitative easing and, and the cheap money in the market, uh, you know, is is pretty profound. I, I would say fiscal policy also kind of is side by side with the Fed there. Uh, if, if you look at how much uh, the United States has stimulated uh, compared to other developed economies, it's it's definitely an outsized uh, percentage compared to other developed markets. But when you look at it in general, you, you are experiencing inflation around the globe. Uh, but particularly, you know, there's the the thought that it was simply a supply chain bottleneck and that this was going to be an easy, or at least part, part of this would be an easy fix uh, as as the world opened from, from COVID. Uh, hasn't come to fruition, particularly here in the United States. You see how much demand is driving, and you know that's when you listen to the Fed governors and Fed officials speak about it. You know, they're talking about demand destruction and then trying to rein in demand. And you're still, while you're seeing some si- uh, places where that is finally uh, coming down, uh, you're still seeing the wage growth. You're still seeing strong job markets, and and that is from an inflationary standpoint still concerning. So would you say as a combination of things, Chris, the low interest rates from the Fed, the fiscal stimulus, plus all of the pandemic related supply chain issues? And demand as well. I think, you know, we, we've seen that uh, demand across the board has uh, been very resilient. Uh, if you look at, you know, sentiment data, it still has been fairly strong, even as the Fed has has tightened throughout the course of the year. We're starting to see some cracks in that. Mm-hmm. But Overall, there's still strength in the demand side, as well as, you know, the supply chain is not fully fixed. And, and we're seeing a shift. One of the themes of our capital markets assumption this year is regionally resilience is kind of coming into play. Think of it as a, another way of saying there's been a deglobalization where supply chains are becoming more localized and more resilient. And because of that, we're going to see higher costs of raw materials and cost of goods that are going to last and linger much longer than one would expect. And so I think demand is also a key of what's driving inflation beyond the, the cheap money and the supply chains. On. Gotcha. Now, there's a wide range of opinions when it comes to what the Fed needs to do to bring down inflation. Some people think that the Fed is being way too aggressive and looking at backward looking data, while others believe that rates have to go above the level of inflation, which I guess would be something like seven or eight percent. Where do you stand on that debate? You know, the, the Fed's in a challenging position. They're trying to control the the portions of this that they can. And they've communicated very strongly and they continue to con- communicate strongly, you know, what their their opinion is about what they're trying to, to control for. And, you know, if, if you're listening to not just what the Fed's saying, but if, if you're listening politically, what the conversations around inflation have been on both sides, it's, you know, this is something that is affecting Main Street, just as much as Wall Street. And so there is a hyper focus on inflation. It's the Fed's been clear that that is their the, the mandate that they are focusing on today. And 
they're going to do what it takes to, to, to rein that in. You know, where we see from here, you know, I, I tend to align with where we're seeing from a consensus standpoint. You know, the, the market's still calling for three rate hikes in, in November. And then three, you know, there's a, a 70% chance of, or 77% chance of three more in December. So, you know, if we're at, and that brings us to the 475. And I think the one change we've seen recently is if you look at uh, 2023, where we we reached kind of peak rate level in in March, I think the, the the market is now buying into the Fed's discussion that when they do hit the peak rate, they're going to keep it there for an extended period. You're actually seeing two more rate hikes priced into early 2023, uh, and and really peak rates not coming until towards the end of next year, uh, around November. So, you know, from that perspective, I think the Fed's communicating what they're trying to accomplish. And, you know, I, I was, I've always been told that, uh, you know, when someone tries to tell you who they are, believe them. I think the markets need to believe what the Fed is, is telling them. And, you know, you see this kind of give and take with the equity market where when there's some cracks in the inflation number, you see uh, equity markets tend to take off and then when Fed officials speak, they they tend to sell back off as the market buys back into what the Fed is is actually talking about. And I think that is my view is kind of the Fed's telling you what they're going to do, uh, believe what the Fed is. And as the old adage says, don't don't fight the Fed. So understand what they're trying to accomplish and, and adjust accordingly. That makes a lot of sense. And I do wonder, Chris, you mentioned that you know, we had all of these kind of disinflationary forces over the past 10 years, globalization and things like that. And now we kind of have a reversal of that deglobalization and the onshoring of supply chains. I wonder if that's going to result in an inflation rate that's just going to be higher going forward, regardless of what the Fed does than what it was over the past 10 years post-financial crisis. Yeah, I, I think if when you look at rates to the expectation, if, if we're talking about terminal inflation in the three, three and a half percent, you know, you could make an argument that the the rates we're seeing today are are are, are appropriate. You know, obviously if, if we're talking about getting back to the the two percent target, then you know, th- these rates are are probably a little aggressive from that perspective, but you know, we're not seeing inflation come back in line to that level. That expectation is 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 being met that that they could bring rates down sooner than what they've they've communicated. Have you been kind of like surprised by the resiliency of the uh, U.S. economy? Because people have been talking about recession for months now, and certainly we've been in a bear market, but the job market is still going strong. Just wondering what your view is on that. The data still shows, you know, I think this is a very important time right now as we're getting third quarter earnings and even more important than the the, the earnings that are communicated. I think the guidance that companies are going to put for fourth quarter and for 2023 is is the key things that I'm listening to, to see what is the the fundamental view or what is the corporate view from here. And I think that'll, that'll drive things. I, you know, as you mentioned, the, the market has already essentially priced in and, and continue to price in uh, the likelihood of, of a harder landing. And so that is being, you know, reflected in, in market prices. But I think that's the concern is that even though the, the Fed has, has hiked rates, that we're still not seeing it in 
some of the demand data, the job reports. Now, that information is a lagging indicator. I think that that kind of is, is one of the things that you hear from, from the camp that talks about, you know, rates being too high already, is that the data will catch up to, to where the Fed is. But you could have made that argument six months ago, the data was going to catch up and it still hasn't. So, you know, it, it's a little bit of waiting for Godot here that I, I think that until we see some of these these numbers and the demand degrade, some of these these pressures uh, abate some, then that's where we can get some comfort that, that potentially we we're heading in the right direction and understand where that would affect the economy. And what's going on, Chris, with the whole GDP versus unemployment uh, issue we're seeing? Well, we obviously got two straight quarters of negative GDP growth. Everyone was talking recession a few months ago. But obviously, when the National Bureau of Economic Analysis looks at it, they take in a lot of other data points to determine whether we're in a recession. Uh, The unemployment rate uh, conceivably being a major thing they look at. So can we see that divergence continue? Or do you think the job market is going to eventually break one way or the other in the near future? Yeah, I think that's what we'll have to see. You know, something we'll have to give. You know, on, on one end or the other, we're still seeing, you know, 1.9 jobs for every unemployed person. And so there, there is still some demand there on, on the, the employment side. So I think that is definitely something that is being taken into account. And so it'll be interesting to see where this, where the delocation happens and where that drives, drives the economy from there. Chris, I was wondering. Energy has been like the top performing sector. I mean, it's blowing everything else out of the water and it's had such a huge run up. I was wondering how investors should view that particular sector relative to the rest of the market, how they should approach it. Like, can you put a little perspective on what's been going on there? Yeah. You know, this, this is an area where obviously uh, supply chain issues, everything that that's happening uh, in Ukraine is, is having a dramatic effect as, as Russia is, is is continuing to pull back on some of the natural resources that they feed into Europe. Uh, that is is having effect on energy prices still, and it's it's been the driver of of energy prices this year, and it's continuing to to be a struggle that will continue. Uh, obviously, as we go into the winter season, it's going to become more of, of a focus, particularly in Europe. And, you know, that I think will carry us through the early part of, of 2023 as far as the demand for, for, for energy still being there. Um, I think the other area that, that we'll see from a natural resource perspective is, is the agriculture side is going to become have a more profound effect as well as so much of, of the world's grain population comes from Russia and Ukraine that I think that'll have a profound impact as well as how much of things like fertilizer um, that's petroleum based in a lot of cases or, or natural resource based is, is going to be affected by this. So that's going to raise agriculture prices as the cost of fertilizer increases and that will have a profound impact as well. So I, I think we're going to see across the commodity complex, there, there is some concern as we go into year end and we go into the winter season, it could still stay strong. Uh, and then we'll see what happens as we kind of get to 
spring and, and summer of next year where things are playing out. I think what we're seeing is there's lots of uncertainty. You know, it's hard to, you know, kind of put a projection out there uh, just simply based on, you know, there's so many variables at play right now and, and so many things that are that are playing out that you got to kind of take it day by day. Yeah, I would think so. It's pretty chaotic right now. Um, are there any like other asset classes that you see as kind of like maybe safe harbors for investors right now, or maybe just good ideas to make sure they have in their portfolio? Yeah, uh, I think one asset class that that has been uh, looked at, and, and particularly as we've seen more and more investors focus on the hard landing and, and potentially a recession in the economy, the one asset class that people have gravitated towards is infrastructure. And, you know, it's an asset class that tends to do well uh, late in the economic cycle as it tends to be more uh, inelastic in demand, meaning that in, in both booming economies and, and bust economies, people need access to mission critical things like energy, potable water, waste management, transportation, even things like inflation, uh, like uh, information. So fiber optic cables, cellular towers, things along those lines are mission critical areas and services in that infrastructure is a good asset class in this kind of environment, as well as it does well in an inflationary regime. It is a real asset, a portion of the real asset complex. And so I think infrastructure is one area that that I look towards as being uh, a compelling play today. In, in addition to infrastructure, uh, two things that we've had a lot of conversations with clients about. One is is low volatility equities, uh, with the the sell off not in equity, uh, not only in equities but in in fixed income as well. When investors are looking to adjust their 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 risk in their portfolio. One alternative to moving out of equities today would be to change your portfolio and, and move from uh, a beta strategy or, or market strategy and look at low volatility strategies in the market. And so that's something that's been very compelling to reduce your risk, not by moving out of risk assets, but to move towards low volatility uh, and, and adjust the volatility. That's actually been something that has been very strong, has done well uh, you know, relative to equity markets. And, and, you know, as we look at it from a volatility, we're seeing volatility increase yet again. Volatility is as high as it was in the heights of a pandemic when you think about March of 2020 from a VIX perspective. And we're seeing more spikes. And we have seen more spikes since the global financial crisis that, you know, there's been more spikes in volatility in the equity market. And that's where low volatility strategies can be attractive. Uh, and then I think the third area is when I think about from an equity standpoint is dividend-paying stocks. Uh, one of the things that you know we we look at uh, when we we look at our our projections for our capital market assumptions and our projection for asset class returns over the next five years, but with all that we are experiencing in markets and in the macro environment, you know our expectation on equity returns is that they're going to come in below. The, the long-term average over the next five years. And so with that in mind, strategies that are more focused on total return and not just capital appreciation, I think are going to come more into vogue. And so dividend strategies where you're collecting coupons as well as also participating in percent of potential upside capture, I think is also uh, very compelling today. 
then I think if I was going to add a fourth, I think the other area that we find compelling is, is, is high yield. I think high yield today, particularly if you look at it as a risk asset, you know, and as an alternative to equity, uh, you're, you're able to historically high yield is delivered equity like returns with less volatility. Uh, so pretty attractive from a sharp ratio perspective. And high yield, if we look at it from, from a credit standpoint, term exposure versus credit exposure, you know, our view is today, uh, we want to, we prefer the credit exposure over term, uh, with rates going up. And then, you know, when we look at the high yield space in particular, there's a lot of the balance sheets are, are stronger than they have been in the past. So, you know, the view is that they will be more resilient, um, in, in this current market environment. Wow. I hadn't thought much about high yield fixed income, but I was wondering what about factors like quality and value are, I mean, I know they're kind of closely connected to stuff like low volatility in a way, but I was wondering, like, are there other factors that are appealing right now? Yeah. What I would say is that in, in slowdown uh, and contraction uh, environments, Historically, most factors have done well. I think size in a slowdown, in an economic slowdown, size is the only factor that tends to be negative. Uh, in particular, you know, as you you highlighted, quality, uh, financial health of companies is key. I think in this in this current environment, the financial health of companies is going to be a key determinant. If you think about it, from you know, with raw material costs going higher, labor costs going higher, financing costs going higher, those companies that are best positioned from a financial health standpoint, should do well in this type of environment. You know, I would say that historically, this type of environment is where we see a more dispersion of, of equity returns. And so, you know, the expectation would be that there will be more dispersion and, and in those kind of environments, quality does well. Um, also, low volatility uh, also does well in a slowdown. And then in a contractionary environment, value, dividend yield, low volatility, quality, all of these factors do well in this type of environment. Uh, and so the expectation is that, you know, as we've seen this year, value has had a strong year. Quality has done well this year. Low volatility has been strong this year. I think, you know, as things continue, though, these could be attractive factors. for. Awesome. Well, Chris, we'll have to end it there. Listeners, thanks again for tuning in to Exchange Traded Fridays. You can find this and other episodes on the ETF.com website and on all the major podcast platforms. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.